welcome everybody. Let's talk real estate. Your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. As we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving this market today to find the best solutions going forward. With our man right in the middle, Barry Saywitz. Hey, Barry. Hey, good morning, Paul, and good morning to all of our viewers and our listeners out there. It is Tuesday. We are talking real estate. I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and managing partner of Barry Saywitz Properties. And if it's one thing I've learned in my 30-plus years of doing this, it's it's never the same. And at the same time, it's always the same. And so we are back here talking real estate. we got some exciting stuff to talk about today. But before we get going, I have a couple of shout-outs and a couple of announcements First and foremost, I want to wish Paul Roberts, our uh, our Master of Ceremonies, a happy birthday. He just turned 21 today, again uh, and again and again. So happy birthday. I hope uh, you, know, you get to cut out early, maybe. Uh, leave at 6. And then I also want to give a shout-out to the Michigan Wolverines and the whole Wolverine Nation and all of the Michiganders, uh, including my family from Michigan, who I'm sure are celebrating and taking the day off today for winning the national championship in football. And so congratulations to them and to the Washington Huskies for a great season. So we'll see both those guys back in a few months. They get to play each other in about six months. So I'm looking forward to that. So with all of that said, I want to get going. I want to welcome our guest, Tom Grable, who is the division president of TriPoint Homes for Orange County and Los Angeles region. Thanks for coming in, Tom. I appreciate having on the on the show. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, Glad so to be here. you are a longtime resident of Orange County, and going back to uh, went to school at Cal State Fullerton, and then started to uh, sow your oats and put down roots in Orange County, and and really haven't left. And and so your history goes back quite a ways, uh, and you've seen a lot of growth in. Orange County and in the home building and in the real estate market as a whole. I guess let's rewind for a second. So you get out of school at Cal State Fullerton. Uh, quickly take me through how the heck you get into real estate in the first place. <laughs> well, it's interesting. In this, in this industry, there's a lot of people, especially in leadership, that have this is all they've ever wanted to do. They came, in, came up through family contacts or family businesses. Um, I was not one of those. I, I kind of uh, evolved into this business, and, and it was really through really luck along the way. When I graduated from college, I had a communications degree. I went to college to be a journalism major and, and through some uh, other sideline activities with student government and such, found that I really wanted to go into business. And so I went into retail for two years and worked for a department store and, and realized that's not where I was gonna do full time. I had a, or, or a long time as a career at least. And so I had um, one of my closest friend's brother contact me and say, hey, I've got an opportunity for you that I think you'd really like was working as an intern for a planning firm, an urban planning consulting firm. And so I literally left a job where I was making decent money to make basically minimum wage, 450 an hour to run the Xerox machine to start. So I kind of started in the mailroom of this business. And uh, really the policy side in, in working with cities and counties with uh, general plans and zoning ordinances, but also um, writing uh, technical summaries for environmental impact reports. And so I really learned the policy side of this business first. And then eventually I was hired by a home builder to come in-house and basically run the operations of getting projects approved and, and, and going through the myriad of, of governmental agency work with cities, counties, federal agencies like uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Fish and Wildlife, EPA, to state agencies. Uh, and this is all for master planning larger developments at a time. I mean, give me a frame. It's the 80s? It, it, yes, mid, mid to late 80s. So, so Orange County's booming. Orange County's going through massive trans, uh, transformation from 
strawberry fields and orange fields and just raw land to, hey, look, we're growing and we're building. And so it's an exciting time. It, it was. And, and there was a lot going on. But also the, that was the time when there was so much going on. Politically, there was a lot of pushback. So that's what, that was kind of the rise of NIMBYism and right. cities and counties uh, going to more growth control ordinances and really stopping or slowing down growth. Uh, and, and really what happened back 40 years ago and to present day uh, has really impacted the supply of new homes that can be brought on. So that's a whole other discussion that I'm happy to have here too. But there, there's a lot of nuances to that uh, on top of just home building and selling homes. Right. And the concept was for those uh, viewers and listeners out there that are not familiar, I mean, the plan, you correct me if I'm wrong, is I buy a tract of land, I either cash out some family or I buy some farmland or whatever the case was, and then I master plan it and I build a tract of homes and I'm basically building a community. And then what that is and what that looks like and the price points, I guess, are up for discussion each and every time. But it really was not I'm building a couple of houses here, or I'm building a house at the end of the street. It was transforming a neighborhood or building a neighborhood. Yes. And that's what we do today. I mean, what we do is we build communities. We build neighborhoods. Uh, we transform people's lives as a result of that. And, and that's really the business that we're in is, is we, we're in the life-changing business. Um, um, every person who walks into one of our new home galleries interested in buying a home has made a conscious decision to literally change their lives. And we get to be there for that. Yeah, and it's exciting. And you've been doing it so, so for a long time. So if we rewind, let's go from the 80s. We'll fast forward as quickly as we can through it. But so you get involved with a couple of different home builders and, and some big and reputable ones as well, whether it's Watt or William Lyon, and then ultimately end up at TriPoint. Yes. So so I did five years at Watt, and then Watt packaged our, our merchant home building divisions up and sold them to Beezer Homes. So I worked for Beezer Homes for five years. And then uh, uh, was eventually a senior VP of, of land acquisition and, and forward planning. And then I left to go to, to William Lyon to be a project manager where I had P&L responsibilities for the communities I was working on. So I was really in training to be you know, kind of what I'm doing now is in managing individual neighborhoods to the point where it, it would propel me into senior level management uh, um, at Lyon at the time. And, and eventually I, I ran the Orange County operation for Lyon for two of the almost 11 years I was there. Yeah. And so you've pretty much done everything there is to do that rolls up into the guy at the top who's sort of pulling the strings. Well, my, my construction team would laugh at that because they know that they do not want me in the field, even with a caulking gun. Yeah, that no, is not I, my I get that from my construction guys. <laughs> they know I'm coming and everybody runs for the hills or tries to you know, slash my tires or whatever it is to keep me from going. There was also a time when uh, TriPoint was just starting out that I was our, our, our original or de facto sales manager and found that uh, while that was a great experience, I still have two people that I hired 14 years ago. They're still with us today. But I found that there are people that are infinitely better talented at managing the sales team than even I am. So yeah. there, you have to know your limitations even when you're running the show. But someone needs to be the puppeteer and someone needs to be the face of the company. And so here you are. Well, the chief cultural minister for the division. Yeah. And so now you, you take all this stuff and you are are at the helm of managing not only culture, but business plan, yes. projects, uh, concepts, et cetera. And so the company itself has been voted one of the best places to work for uh, a business in Orange County amongst a number of other accolades. What is the culture in a general sense that you try to bring to the people and the staff that you have? It's interesting. The um we're really a customer-driven company, and so everything we do is is designed for that. 
And, and I can tell you that the, the team that I have the privilege and, and uh, um, honor of, of being kind of the ringmaster of all that, we have about 130 to 140 employees at you know, any given time throughout the year. And we have people that buy into that mission. And it makes it really easy to develop culture when everybody is kind of wired that way. And so uh, we do things for the customer. Uh, we have our, our sales program is devised very much in that way. And even the construction team and customer care team are very much part of that process uh, in the customer facing world that they're even in. Uh, so it permeates throughout the entire organization. So when you have such a positive outlook on what it is that we do, it makes it really easy to devise a, a, a way of operating and strategies that are employed that, that encourage people to do their best. And you know who doesn't want to work in a place where you're encouraged to do your best work? Right, and where there's still opportunity, well, albeit it's a different ball game and a different program in today's world. Yes, the company's not going anywhere, and my job's secure for, uh, for the moment, and 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 we hope for a long, long time. But there's a plan, and you get people to buy into the plan. Yes. So let's talk about TriPoint for a second, because TriPoint, for those people who don't know, is a publicly traded company, mm -hmm. is one of the largest uh, home builders in the country, and uh, also one of the largest environmentally, I guess, conscious is the best word I, maybe I would use, uh, builders uh, in different uh, markets uh, around the country. It's not just here in Southern California. But it, but it started here. It started yeah. here in Orange County. Our three founders, uh, Doug Bauer, Tom Mitchell, and Mike Grubbs, were the top executives at William Lyon Homes. Uh, actually, they were the, the very top executives of, 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 of the senior leadership team at Lyon, whose name wasn't Lyon. They decided in 2009 to, uh, to, to go off on their own and start their own company, and so they did. TriPoint was, uh, uh, was born in April of 2009, so uh, people thought, uh, you know, why would you start a home building operation? In the in middle the, of the recession. In the very depths of that recession. Right. Which, of course, is the, uh, the exact right time to start a company. Uh, my boss, Tom Mitchell, who I've worked under for 23 of the last 24 years of my career, he's an avid surfer. And so for him, it, this was starting at the bottom of the wave. Yeah. Uh, so, the, so we really have rode that wave up. And, and so there was a handful of us that were part of the original uh, TriPoint startup team. I started in the, the first of 2010, the second executive level person that they hired as part of the team. And that was the genesis of the entire organization. But it's been through uh, a couple of major milestones. First, in, in 2011, when Starwood Capital invested a uh, substantial equity position into the company, really gave us a platform to expand here in Southern California, but also start divisions in the Bay Area and Denver. And then in 2013, we became the first home builder to go public on the New York Stock Exchange in almost a decade. And then others followed after that. And then 2014, uh, the, the Doug and Tom and Mike at the time, uh, who's since retired, but uh, uh, they engineered a, a strategy of the minnow swallowing the whale and bought the Weyerhaeuser real estate company assets, which included five other builder brands across the country. And so that's really how we, the company became a you know big footprint nationally. And then since then, we've, uh, we've acquired other home building divisions as well as started organically in other places like uh, North and South Carolina and Utah now. Yeah. So. And, and really a lot of markets that are really thriving and, and I would say sort of different dynamic than Southern California. I think Southern California, California in general is just different than most of the rest of the country. Uh, Very much so. In fact, uh, when we compare sh or share notes with my counterparts across the country, I find it fascinating how differently our operations really 
really are uh, when you go from one market to another. And, and uh, the red tape and the politics and the governing and, and all of the regulations and the time frame from conception to completion varies really dramatically depending upon where you're at. Well, and California being the toughest of, the, the of all those. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I would say the worst. I mean, not to be <laughs> not to slight it, it's the worst. But it is. Yeah. And, and so let's go to where COVID kicks in. The markets uh, on the home building side, on the real estate side, on the commercial side, all across really at a peak, right? Everything's cooking along. Everything's fine. What happens to your business and the home building business in COVID when nobody's doing anything and we're just shut down? Well, in, in thinking back on, on what it was like now four years ago, uh, yeah, we were coming out of 2019. Uh, we had a really good year, uh, uh, both nationally and in, and in my division in particular. We were feeling very optimistic on 20, at, uh, at the prospects in 2020. And then boom, we get blindsided. You know, every, send everybody home, all our jobs, shut job down. sites are shut down. But one thing that was really key in that, and uh, you know, our trade association, the California Building Industry Association, uh, really worked closely with the governor's office. And, and our industry was uh, deemed to be an essential service because people were Creating stuck in housing, homes. right? You gotta have a roof over your head. Exactly, people are at home, they're working now at home. They need more homes in order to do that. And so through that, that enabled us to continue our operations, albeit we had to do a whole lot of things that were a lot different. Working remote was one of those. Um, uh, although there were a handful of us that still came in the office every day, but you know, having to to really function in that um, uh, without a formal structure, almost in 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 a sense that everybody's there together. Right. But on the sales side, we really were able to employ technology that we hadn't really been forced to before. Um, you know, everything we were doing was doing digital right, and virtual and, tours and. All videos that. and 3D and modeling and all that stuff. And we found that that our, that our uh, the consumer really responded to that. Uh, we also went to uh, employed things like uh, touring our models on an, on an appointment basis only, right. which we found that that worked very effectively because we were dealing with highly qualified people. People weren't just showing right, up. It wasn't the looky-loo who was just out for an afternoon shopping around and kicking the tires. These were people who They're were serious because they wouldn't waste their time. Yeah, needs-based buyers. Right. And so based on that, um, uh, we were able to not only, I mean, certainly the sales dipped in the end of the first quarter and throughout the second quarter, but by the third quarter, we were starting to see a real upswing. And by the fourth quarter, it was, what you, what happened? It was it, like the pop the clutch. And, and why do you think that that is? Because I mean, at that point in time, interest rates are still historically low, right? So people can get into places. And then it, to me, it seems like, I want a bigger yard. I want an outdoor patio. I need that extra bedroom for my home office. And so people are looking at alternatives. And meanwhile, you still have the rental market on fire and jumping up because there's limited housing. And so somebody says, look, if, I, if I'm going to pay this amount of money in rent, I might as well try and figure out how to buy something. Well, the other thing that happened, too, is by people being able to work remotely, they didn't have to be 30 minutes from their office or, right. or an hour from their job site. They could be two hours away. And so it really opened up the landscape for people wanting to live where they actually wanted to live and as opposed to you know what they would accept yeah and then when you were building these homes did you change amenities or outdoor areas or other things to say okay it's a new you know i i got a new plan here where people have different requirements and we're making adjustments well we certainly demonstrated the use of the home differently by providing uh workspace within the home and you know how is how's the home going to live if you're going to live and work right. here as well so 
But the indoor-outdoor spaces, certainly those became even more pronounced. And so that's a trend that I see continuing in our marketplace. California, obviously, with the weather that we have here, just absolutely promotes the indoor-outdoor relationship, unlike other parts of the country. But even in other parts of the country, they're starting to adopt that that relationship, too, because they see that, that, that the, the customer, our buyers and homeowners, that's how they actually live. Uh, and especially here in, in Southern California, they're taking advantage of that indoor-outdoor relationship. Right, and that's why you're here for the weather, because otherwise you would just live someplace else. It's much cheaper everywhere else. Right, exactly. And so what about technology and what about sustainability and solar and some of these other uh, technologies that have evolved over the past five to ten years? Well, And that's something TriPoint uh, was a leader on at the inception of our company. We, we uh, Early on, uh, we wanted to be a different kind of builder and put the emphasis on different kinds of living and components that go in with that and have, have this you know, symbiotic relationship uh, uh, between them. So uh, one of the things that we adopted at TriPoint was to have a, a be, be more of a green builder. Yeah. Uh, in a, and I say that in a generic sense at the time, uh, because in 2014, when we, when we uh, 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 successfully closed on the, the, the warehouser assets, we got Pardee Homes and the other divi- divisions, the other builders that were part of the uh, uh, of, of Warehouser at the time, they had some some really good programmatic aspects to their their environmentally conscious uh, building programs. So we we created the Living Smart um, uh, or adopted the Living Smart moniker and then expanded upon that. So we talk about what the components that go into our home, how we're building our home, sustainability. And then we were one of the early leaders in terms of, of, of photovoltaic technology and solar on our homes before it was mandated. So we were putting solar on homes or having that available to buyers much sooner than other builders uh, who in some cases uh, didn't put solar on their homes until the state actually mandated they had to go on homes. Yeah. We were already doing it. And, and it's interesting because if I was, if you're looking at buying a home, you're either buying an existing home or you're buying a new home. That's your first, to, to me, that's one of the first early on decisions that someone would have to make. And when comparing a new home, the technology and all the benefits and the efficiencies and the savings and utilities. Yes. I mean, it just, I don't know why you'd buy an existing home if you ha- if it was all apples to apples, right? No, it the energy wouldn't. savings that you're getting on homes today is, is, is incomparable. The other thing too is, um, you know, we, one of the, the things you hear about in the news uh, uh, a lot, especially uh, uh, in the summer and fall when during the summer season, although, uh, now they talk about it be year, year long, but you know wildfires in California. Yeah. New homes, the way we're building new homes it's today, not burn as quick. Oh, they're they're, they're they're absolutely fire hardened. Yeah, and uh, a lot of the things that are being used to limit the construction of homes on the urban edge, they're talking about exposing new homes to wildfire dangers, and we're saying no, you need to have new homes on the edge because that essentially is the wall to the city. Right, you got an older old, stock. Right, you got an old wood structure, that thing goes up in flames. Absolutely. Which gets back to a real world scenario that everybody I think is dealing with today, which is insurance, right? So if you have homeowner's insurance and you have an older home and you're in a fire area or quake area or a flood zone, you are really paying a significant premium versus if I've got a new home, I'm going to get a better deal. That, that absolutely. And that's something that we as the industry is working very closely with the, the governor's office and the state uh, legislature, um, as well as our insurance commissioner. In fact, I've met with uh, Commissioner Laura uh, several times now on that issue. Yeah, I mean, it is. I live it every day. I mean, I talked to my brother, just renewed his homeowner's insurance. It went up 40 percent and he shopped around. He said, there's nothing I can do. I just had to take it in the shorts and 
you know, take some money from someplace else and move on. And it's really, it's a challenge and it's all, it's statewide. Yes. And, and we are making progress on that. We, we were able to successfully, um, uh, encourage and then ultimately, uh, the, the insurance commissioner and the governor, uh, and his staff got together and, and have created access to the fair plan for attached condominiums, which wasn't the case, um, just literally six months ago. So it's only been in the last three or four months that that is, as, uh, has, has taken place. And that's a major victory for uh, homeowners uh, that otherwise couldn't get insurance for attached homes that are kind of on the perimeter of communities. Yeah. And so it's not just about the home. It's There's a whole host of other decision-making factors, I think, that go into somebody buying a new home. Uh, and as a builder, you have to take into consideration and then certainly focus on those benefits when you're marketing. Yes. And that's one of the things that, that I love about this industry. It's so dynamic. Uh, there isn't one day that is the same, or one or, or one market cycle that's the same from any other. There, uh, there's so many different uh, internal and exterior uh, external factors that that play into our business that you really have to be nimble in how you react to those situations because you never know what's coming at you, whether it's market and economy driven or it's public policy driven, uh, or it's customer preferences. Right. I mean, it's, it's a box dynamic. of chocolates for sure. Very dynamic. So let's fast forward to today. So here we sit, right? We are in the what I'll call the post-COVID era. Interest rates run up, right? And that sort of whacks the real estate markets across the board, slows everything down to a crawl. Everybody, it seems, is in a wait and see mode, or most people uh, waiting to see if interest rates come down. I had somebody tell me last night, oh, you can buy this property. And then in a year, interest rates will be way back down where they were, and then you'll be sitting pretty. I'm like, that's just some bad logic. Uh, and, and so you have homeowners doing the same kinds of things. And while inventory is low, which would seem to benefit a new home development, because I don't have a lot of other options, you still have people struggling, number one, to qualify, uh, number two, to afford the mortgage at this higher number, and then number three, as a result of it, if I believe that tomorrow's price or tomorrow's interest rate may be less, maybe I just wait. It's tough to get people off the fence. Well, there, there's certainly that, but the, the probably the biggest factor is, I mean, how, how many of us are now sitting on a mortgage that starts with a two, three, or right, four? Right. Well, for those people that are, they're probably not leaving. Because because they can't replicate that. Right, you'd pay triple. In in a lot of cases, that's absolutely true. And in many instances, I would want to step up and get a bigger, nicer, newer, more expensive home. So it's not even if I had two two and a half percent, and I went to six and a half or seven percent, and then I stepped up. It's really you better be well prepared and well healed. It, absolutely, yes. And when you factor all of that in, so you have the resale market basically is a fraction of what it used to be. Yeah. The new home market is also less than, than what it used to be, primarily because of availability of the uh, of home sites to even build on. That's a whole different issue. But so you take the combination of that, you still have needs-based buyers. You still have, we sell two-thirds of the homes that we sell across the country are to millennials now and Gen Zers. Millennials are 62% of our buyers. Interesting. And, and so those are needs-based buyers because they're at the uh, the start of the of, of really their wealth creation stage. You know, they're in their 30s and 40s now. Right. And they need the ride off, and they want to build some wealth. And and the, and, the, and their family formation. Right. I've got two sons who, in the last three years, both of them got married, and right. one of them now now has our first grandchild. So, right. and then dad helps out. <laughs> I'm going to get you a house, right? And then that's how I'm also how I'm able to afford it in many cases. And so, when you have the resale market that's virtually non-existent for that those buyers. 
new homes becomes really the, the only alternative. And it's exciting. I got a new house. I got a new setup. Right? Well, the, I mean, the buying experience is completely different. Uh, uh, what we do on the new home side of sales is very, very different than the resale side of uh, sales. And it is a process. It's a relationship you're building with as a customer. You're building that relationship with your builder. And as a builder, we're developing that relationship with you as our customer. Uh, because we're, we're together for weeks, if not months, while we go through the build process. Even if you buy a move-in ready home from us, one that's already existing, standing, built, ready to go, it's still going to take you yeah, still work to a couple months to get through it. So, But I'm not fixing pipes and other things that I have in a second generation. And home. you're getting a warranty. And, right. and so, yes. And so where is the market in general? Uh, do you see, obviously, activity has slowed across the board, but where do you see it going? And is the perception of potentially lower interest rates or you know, stock market is back while it's still very volatile. There's all kinds of other problems, I think, with the economy that will affect real estate in general at the end of the day. But where do you look ahead for the rest of 2024 and beyond? Because you, your timeline also is not tomorrow while you'd like to sell a home tomorrow. It's also next year and the following year as well. Yeah, we're, we're business planning five years right, out right. constantly. Um, and we update our business plan uh, three to four times a year as it goes. So, so again, trying to be very nimble in our business. But when you go back to the, the fundamentals of you know what drives home home sales, first of all, you have to have an economy where there's job creation or stability, which we do have that, and household formation, which when you look at millennials and Gen Z coming up, we certainly have that. So you have the fundamentals are there to start with, and then when you look at supply and demand in the local market, you know our supply has never been lower because the resale market is is uh, is a fraction of what it used to be and almost non-existent. And then you have new homes, which are also supply constrained because we're not able to bring homes to market fast enough to actually meet the current right, supply. Right, right. So, so then you have the, the, the other two factors of supply uh, and then affordability. And uh, for us, affordability has is, is, is been really fascinating to watch. Two years ago when interest rates started going up, certainly affordability went down precipitously. Yeah. One thing that builders have, we have to, uh, many tools that we're able to work with. You know, we can buy down interest rates. Uh, you know, if you're selling your home to, you know, on the resale market, you can't do that. Right. So we have some institutional advantages that that the, that on the new home side that the resale side does not have. The existing homes market just simply doesn't have. So we can make it attractive. We can get people to qualify with the tools that we have uh, to work with. The other thing too is people want personalization. We have found that people so you throw on the perks. <laughs> yeah, so we've got we have a uh, a design studio that it's it's a retail studio and and we have our our customers have access to that and they can personalize um, depending upon the product and what we have in that offering they can they can go absolutely crazy with the, the, the choices that they want to make. I look at it a little bit, and I don't want to compare the two, but it's kind of like buying a car, right? I mean, you can buy a used car in today's market, and it's actually almost the same, if not more money, than a new car, and you can't really get the new car. And if you could find the new car and it was available, you have the ability to customize, and, and that's the way to go. But uh, if it's not there, you got to take with what you have. And so I, I think, the pe like you say, the people that are out there, uh, it's still a good opportunity. And if you're buying for the long haul, I mean, the flippers and the, hey, in two years, I'm going to go get something bigger i think that mindset's kind of gone well, well also too we we're finding that the psychology of our buyer has changed as when it comes to rates there's a, there's now a certain level of acceptance that we're 
the rates are kind of where they're going to be. And we're going to see still some elevated rates probably the first half of this year. And then, and then what happens the, the latter half of 24, um, I think, uh, and we're hoping that rates will kind of feather down a little bit. But the customer kind of knows what they're getting at this point. And we don't see a lot of things on the, the and while I'm not an economist, you know, there's any number of things that can change tomorrow. To, uh, uh, but there's, there, there seems to be uh, some stability in the marketplace because of the dynamics that are in place right now. We don't see those changing a whole lot. So from an affordability st- standpoint, we don't see pricing, at least for new homes, coming down anymore. In fact, we've been pretty much continuing right. to raise prices throughout all of even last year. Well, I agree with that. And, and then the flip side of it would be, unlike commercial property where you're locked in with prepayment penalties and, and other sorts of costs, the pitch on the residential side is, look, if rates come down, you could always refinance later on and just have another crack at the apple. And, and you have the ability to rectify your situation if it changes. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to ask you is, what about cost of construction, right? During COVID, supply chain issues, certainly inflation, cost of supplies, that must come into the factor of your profitability and then being able to deliver an end product at a reasonable price. Oh, certainly. Costs have, have gone up uh, dramatically. Uh, especially in the last three years, we and we, we manage that very very closely, and and, and uh, you know, we we benchmark that uh, with what you know what our competitors what we think that they're uh, uh, spending on a per square foot basis. So that's how we we track how we're building a home, uh, but that those costs have gone up. Oh gosh, in some cases thirty to fifty percent on some components. Um, during this last no, since not to COVID. mention your labor costs and and every every other vendor that raised their price on you that goes into the components of putting a house together, right? And in some instances, I mean, on the apartment side, in some instances, we've seen costs go up almost a hundred percent. But but we also look at uh, you know what costs are we incurring that that actually create value as well. So we do a lot of value engineering uh, with all of our products, uh, making sure that we're not sacrificing what the customer really needs. And wants, but what's we're we're not cutting costs necessarily on uh, on the things that they absolutely have to have. And so, like for example, we talked about indoor outdoor relationships. Right. We still are programming in that outdoor relationship in the form of even on attached product, uh, having that exterior uh, maybe balcony, a balcony or right. deck, uh, it, which is a costly feature to include. But from a lifestyle standpoint, our customers really want that. So right. we still we're not cutting what they really want to have, but. We are managing very closely what those are, and and just looking at the outlook going forward, especially here in Southern California, we're already supply constrained. We're going to become further constrained uh, constrained uh, as to our home site supply, and what I mean by that is, um, take for example, uh, I since we uh, we also build out in the Inland Empire, the Inland Empire uh, to have equilibrium in that particular market has about 200 communities that are selling at any given time along the 15, 91, and 215 corridors. That, we're able to track what's in the pipeline going through the approval process with cities and counties out there, as well as what's available in the way of, you know, dairies that we've converted into into communities and such. There aren't that many left anymore. And on top of that, it's getting, you know, just that much tougher and and takes more time to, to get through the entitlement or the approval process with cities and counties. And so with that, we see community count in that market going from somewhere around 210 to 220 communities last year down to 84 by the middle of next year. 
So what that means for the consumer is less opportunities. Potentially, it's going to cost you more because it's that supply-demand issue. Yes. And from a developer standpoint, you better go out and try and secure some plots of land because there's just not that many out there. That, that, that is exactly what we're doing, along with all of our competitors. Right. <laughs> but also, too, from when you talk about costs, now you start to see the availability of communities to work within with our trades is also going to contract. And so we expect that that uh, direct costs of, of uh, development should act, come down. Actually, and I'm not, I'm, they're not going to go down to anything that they were, you know, four or five years ago. But they certainly will stabilize. Yeah, and I think, or, and I've already seen it where people are now. Like I'm not booked six months out. Like, hey, I need work, right? right? And people are willing to work with you a little bit. And the supply chain is freed up. Yeah, quite a bit as well. Uh, we have um, where where. We were literally fighting for components in almost every stage of the construction process, you know, two and three years ago. Uh, now it's just a couple of things, and, and more. Uh, um, it's it's more of an issue, you know, that, that arises at a time instead of everything being on fire all at once. Yeah, that's interesting. And I told you when we started, it would go quick. And Paul's waving at me like we're running out of time. And I I, I wanted to sing Happy Birthday. I really did, Paul, but we don't have time. <laughs> Tom, we may have to have you come back because I want to talk to you about the BIA. I want to talk to you about uh, Sacramento. I want to talk to you about the economy as a whole and what factors will affect the home buying market in the future. And we didn't get to any of that good that, stuff. That's a, that's a whole show in itself. I'm, I'm, I have the fortune of uh, serving as chair of the California Building Industry Association this year. So statewide issues um, are things that... Uh, that I get uh, the opportunity to now, now work on as well as my daytime job. Yeah, and we can mix in some politics and some election stuff and uh, a couple of songs for Paul, whatever we need to do. <laughs> Happy to. So I do appreciate you coming in and, and sharing your thoughts and talking about uh, the company and the market and the process for the home building. I think it's exciting stuff. And uh, I do wish you and your family and your business uh, continued success in the coming year. And appreciate you coming on the show. Well, th thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you, Barry. So for everybody out there, I am Barry Saywitz. I am still president of the Saywitz Company as far as I know. It is Tuesday. Uh, we have enjoyed having you tune in, listen in. We will see you back here next week on Let's Talk Real Estate. There you have it. You've been listening to Let's Talk Real Estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in Southern California. On Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studio here at the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.